Thanks for listening to our messages from Southbridge Fellowship. For additional resources and information on connecting people to Jesus for life change, visit us online at southbridgefellowship.com. Well, if you have a Bible, I trust you do this morning. I'm going to ask you to turn with me to the book of Psalms in the, uh, in the Old Testament, almost squarely in the middle of your Bible. If you kind of drop it open, you're probably pretty close, somewhere right there. And we're going to kind of lay the framework for this passage of Scripture. But Psalm chapter 51 is where we're going to end up, and that's where I'm going to ask you to turn. Um, but let me just bring us a, a, a little bit of a Cliff Notes version where we've been the last four weeks as Pastor Scott has spent those weeks in the book of Acts. And he has shared with us four marks of the revived church. Do you remember what those are? From Acts chapter 2, verse 42, as the Holy Spirit began to be unleashed on the first century church, as the church was birthed, we saw a hunger for God's Word. Do you have a hunger for God's Word? We saw a people that were devoted to a very distinct fellowship. Are you devoted and steadfast to a very distinct fellowship here in this church? Uh, they, they were intentional. They had intentional intimacy with God through Jesus Christ. And then last week, they were a people persistently praying. Those are wonderful marks of a revived church. And this morning, I, I want to simply look at a passage of Scripture, and I want us to understand the consistent roadblock that you and I experience to experiencing these four marks of a revived person. And we're going to do that as we dive into the Old Testament and uh, to sort of lay the background for this. The background for our story comes from 2 Samuel chapters 11 and 12. Many of you are familiar. You don't have to turn there because we're not really going to dive into it. But many of us uh, with Sunday school education or even people in general around the world, if they've not even been a part of church, they know the story of King David. They know the story of David and Goliath. They know the story of David lusting after Bathsheba and, and committing adultery and, and having Uriah get drunk and sending him to the front of the battle and having him murdered. They remember the cover-up. They remember all the things that took place. Matter of fact, as I was sitting at a coffee shop, just reading the Word of God and studying this passage, a guy looked at me and said, what are you reading? I said, well, I'm reading my Bible. And he goes, yeah, yeah, I know, but like What? I said, well, I'm reading about David. He goes, oh, David. Any of that guy that, like, you know, supposedly sl slew the giant with the stone? And I said, yep. Any of the guy that, like, committed adultery and had a guy murdered? Yep. He goes, you really believe all that stuff? I said, yeah, I really do. I said, the Word of God changed my life. I said, I really believe that. And he goes, well, how do you know? You know, I mean, I said, well, I'll tell you what. One day when I die and go to heaven, I'll ask David. And he goes, well, what if David's not there? And I said, well, if he's not there, then you ask him. <laughs> so anyway, that's the background, right? That's the background. That's the process. David was a sinner just like me. David was a sinner just like you. And so he, he did all these things. He lusted after Bathsheba. He had he committed adultery. He got her pregnant. He took her husband and, and literally had him murdered to cover up his sin. Now, we're not going to spend a lot of time going into all that background, but here's what I want us to agree on this morning. We're all guilty. Every one of us in this place are guilty. You may think, well, gosh, I didn't do all the stuff that David did. You're still guilty. The Bible very clearly, Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned and fall short 
of the glory of God. All have sinned. And and before any of us start getting just a little bit smug or a little bit proud and go, yeah, 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 but I didn't do all the stuff David did. And, And I didn't do all the stuff this guy did, or I didn't do all the stuff my neighbor does. Let's remember what the Bible tells us about our very best moment in life. In Isaiah chapter 64, the comparison is simply this. All of us have become like one who is unclean and all our righteous acts. In other words, the very best moment of your life, your very righteous act compared to the holiness and righteousness of God, Isaiah says, are like filthy rags. So let's not get too proud. Let's not get too smug. Let's simply pray and say, God, reveal to me my known and my unknown sin. Why? Because I want to have intimacy with you. I want to have a hunger for your word. I want to be a man of prayer. I want to be a woman of prayer. I want to be a man who who strives after distinct fellowship with other believers so that I can grow to be the man that you've created me to be or to be the woman that you've created me to be. That happens when we begin to seek the heart of God and we acknowledge our sin for exactly what it is, and that is sin. But it was from this background, if you would, of of sin and covering it up for about a year that Nathan the prophet came to David and revealed his sin. And it was out of that moment when David began to seek again the heart of God. And it was out of that period of time that we have two incredible psalms that David penned. Psalm 51, if you have your Bibles, we're going to be there. The second was Psalm 32. And I'll, don't turn there, but I'm, I'm going to throw some verses up as we go through this process. Psalm 51, this is David's prayer of confession. For all the things that he had done, being a man after God's own heart, yet he did these things. And, and obviously the text is going to show us in just a little bit, his heart was heavy. His heart was burdened. I trust and pray that our hearts are heavy and burdened. My heart is heavy and burdened. I can't spend time in in a text like this and not just first and foremost have incredible conviction because I'm a sinner before God. And the more I spend time in this kind of text, the more I, I begin to discover how really cruddy I am before God. And I begin to understand how incredible God's love is that even in my cruddiness and my sin, he continues to pursue me with his love and grace. And I feel so unworthy. Guys, I I don't feel worthy to stand here and begin to talk about the stuff we're talking about except to know the love and the grace of Jesus Christ. So Psalm 51 is this beautiful prayer of confession. Psalm 32 is David's song, and it's his praise for God's cleansing that he'd given him in his life. And so my prayer for us this morning is that we would both experience confession and repentance and brokenness, but that we would also have incredible praise for God's forgiveness that he offers to us. So I want to set just a little bit of framework for the one verse that we're getting at this morning, and that is found in Psalm 51, verse 10, but let me just put a little bit of framework to it. We have these roadblocks or this one consistent roadblock all through our our life's journey with Jesus Christ that keep us from experiencing revival, and it can be summed up in one simple word. Are you ready? Sin. Sin. Three-letter word, right smack dab in the middle, taller than all the rest is I, because I am a sinner before a holy God. And so here we see Psalm 51 
verse 1 and verse 2 simply says this, Have mercy on me, O God. According to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Is that anybody's heart this morning? It's my heart. I want you to see in these two verses the words that are used for sin because David distinctly uses three different words for sin. Verse 1, he uses the word transgressions, which, which means acts of rebellion. It's defying God by crossing over the line that God has drawn. A good way to picture transgressions or trespasses are, are like that of a swimmer. I know swimming's kind of a big thing here in Raleigh. At least I've heard, right? Yeah, see, we, got, we, got a lot, we have synchronized swimmers. We have competitive swimmers. And competitive swimmers, a little different, Miss Carol, than synchronized swimmers because there are no lanes for you, okay? You kind of do all these special things. Swimmers and competitive, they have these lanes. And why is the lane there? Is the lane to hinder the swimmer? No. The lane is there to give the swimmer the greatest possibility to win, and if someone crosses over that lane, they're disqualified from the race. That, that's the picture that we see of transgressions. It's, it's crossing the line. It's breaking the barrier. It's acts of rebellion. Verse 2, he uses the word iniquity. And, and this really means our inward crookedness, our, our perversity, our, our morality, our immoral core of who we are. We're born in sin. Sin is our very nature. It's not simply the things that we do. David is saying, my very inner nature is evil and it's broken. And then he uses the word sin, which is probably what we're most commonly used to seeing the word sin. It means missing the mark or failing to meet God's standard. It was kind of an archery term to, to miss the mark or to sin. Well, David understands the broadness of his sin, his iniquity, his transgressions, his sin and missing the mark. And so the first two verses of Psalm 32, and let me throw these on the screen so you don't have to back up there, to me reflect a very profound understanding of the nature and the forgiveness of sin. And again, here David uses three different words for sin. Psalm 32, verses 1 and 2 say this, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man again whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Three terms for sin matched by three very unique metaphors for God's forgiveness. I want you to see this because this helps us understand as we move forward. The verb forgiven right there in verse 1 literally means to carry. In other words, that our sin is like a burden that we cannot bear all by ourselves. Someone must carry it for us. David was experiencing that burden. We'll see in, in uh, chapter 51, verse 17, because his heart is so heavy. And he's so burdened by his sin. Folks, listen, when we harbor sin in our life, it becomes a heavy burden. And we need someone to carry that burden. And that person is Jesus Christ. The second, David declares, blessed is the person whose sins are covered. I love this picture because we need the blood of Jesus to cover our sin. He is Jehovah Sidkenu. He's God, our righteousness. And it's his shed blood that covers my sin. And then finally, sin is pictured as a debt that is canceled. He says he counts 
no, right? And, and so it, it pictures the idea that a debt is canceled. In other words, a debt has been paid that I couldn't possibly pay. Jesus Christ paid a debt for me that he didn't owe and a debt that I could never repay. And so David has this incredible picture and a complete understanding of what it is to experience guilt and to experience sin and brokenness, but he understands what it is through these metaphors to experience the incredible forgiveness of God. So in Psalm 51, verse 17 suggests that David's heart is broken. He says, I have a broken and a contrite heart. Not only had he become defiled, but it had become so hard. And folks, when we harbor sin, it hardens our heart. David was experiencing remorse by guilt. There's a reason we feel guilty in our sin. Do you know why? Because we're guilty. There's a reason we feel guilt. We're guilty. Whether it's a transgression, whether it's simply the iniquity, the, the evilness of our heart, whether it's something we have done to someone or something that we haven't done that we should do, we feel guilty and we feel remorse because we are guilty before a holy, righteous God. And we need to experience the forgiveness that David is talking about. So it is that framework that we dive into then the understanding of what he's talking about in terms of cleansing and healing. So we have this roadblock of sin, and every single one of us have these roadblocks. It may be one huge one. It may be a lot of little ones. But the honest truth is you and I experience roadblock every single day, every single moment of our life, because we are sinners before a holy, righteous God. But then I want us not just to see the roadblock, I want to see the restoration. There's a beautiful picture here in Psalm 51, verse 10. Are you ready? David, crying out to God, says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. You think, wow, Pastor Dave, that's a cool psalm. I've read it before, I've heard it before. Let me unpack this a little bit, and I hope that you will get a greater picture of how God loves you and how he seeks to restore your heart and bring revival to your life. See, create is, is a noun. Webster defines to create as the action of returning something to a former owner, place, or condition, a bringing back to a former position or condition. See, David realized that he was not who he was. He wasn't in intimacy. He was not in fellowship with God as he once was. Because of what? Because of sin. Because of brokenness. Because of transgressions. Because of sin. Because of iniquity. And it had hardened his heart and he had been separated from God. And what he is doing here is he's crying out to God literally to take all of that away and start from scratch. I love the picture here because the, the word create is the exact same picture we have in Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, God created. It's interesting here that David, when he refers to God, is the exact same name that is given to God in Genesis 1-1, Elohim, the great almighty God, God our creator. He calls on that God again to come and create from scratch, brand new, a new heart in me. Have you ever just come to that place in your walk with Jesus Christ when you go, God, I am tired, I am frustrated, my heart is hard, I'm carrying the weight of sin, and I'm just asking you to start all over again. God, take it, take it all away. 
Take away all my sin. Take away my iniquity. Take away the transgressions of my heart. God, just take my heart completely away. Start all over again. That's what David is crying out for. Folks, listen, it is so easy in our culture just to come to church. And we do church life. And, you know, hey, it's okay if I'm not there this week. And, man, I'm there like 50% of the time. Or I'm there 30% of the time. Or, man, I'm there 90% of the time. It doesn't matter. Are you seeking the heart of God above everything else in your life? You see, I don't come to church because I have to come to church. I come because I get to. I get to come and gather with other believers and lift my, my hands, my heart, my life and praise to a God that I am unworthy to be in the presence of. And I can do that here. And yes, I can do it in my car. And yes, I can do it at my table. And yes, I can do it anywhere I am. But there's something special about gathering with other believers. And David is crying out because he has longed for the presence of God. He's longed for the people of God. He's longed for the fellowship of God. He's longed to have that hunger for God's word. He's longed to have a, a, a distinct fellowship of believers. He's longed to have that intentional intimacy with God through Jesus Christ. He's longed to be that man who is persistent in praying and he is seeking revival. Are you seeking revival? Are you saying, God, I am so full of my sin, I am asking you to take my heart of stone and remove it and start all over again? He is so broken. In this case, David literally was saying, look, what is there needs to be removed. It needs to be carried away. It needs to be covered. It needs to be canceled. He's saying, man, just like a piece of land. God, just like a piece of land, before it can be built, it needs to be cleared. God, before you can start something new in my life, you have to remove what's there. Take it, I mean, just take it away. My desires, my dreams, everything, God, that I've filled in my life with stuff that's not honoring to you. Lord, I'm just asking you to clear it all away and start something new, start something fresh. See, what David understood was the nature of his heart was wicked, the nature of his heart was sinful, and he needed a complete makeover. Any HGTV fans in the house? He needed a makeover. I mean, and literally what he's crying out, he's going, God, it's demo day. I mean, it's demo day, and we're going to take away all this old stuff, and we're going to start from scratch something that is brand spanking new. Back in August, Pastor Scott, in one of his messages, he simply said this, the heinousness of our sin is not based on the wickedness of our actions, but the holiness of our God. I don't know about you, that has stuck with me since August. And David is saying, look, I understand that what I've done is wicked, but what makes it worse is when I compare it to your holiness and your righteousness. And sometimes we sit in our, in our smugness of Christianity and we go, I'm really not so bad. My sin isn't so awful. God's really kind of lucky to have somebody like me on his team. Instead of going, you know what, that very best moment, Dave, you remember that one half second that you had that was so awesome? It is like a filthy rag compared to the holiness and righteousness of God. And God, I'm asking you to clear cut my heart, start from scratch, lay a new foundation, build something that is brand new. 
See, true confession involves repentance and a sincere change of mind. So when Nathan the prophet confronted David with his sins, his heart broke and he began to repent. Let me just say there's a difference between admitting sins and confessing sin. I'm a dad. I understand admitting fault and I understand true confession. I understand my kids, you know, as I see Christopher whacking Matthew in the head with a bat, and I'm going, dude, you shouldn't have done that. Tell him you're sorry. And he goes, oh, I'm sorry. See, he admitted his fault, but he didn't confess. He admitted, but he didn't repent. How many times have we gone to God and, and we've admitted our sin, which God already knows, but we haven't repented of our sin? I'm guilty. Anybody? God, I admit my sin to you. And he goes, yeah, I know that already. The question is, are you willing to confess and repent? See, we can admit things all day long, but there's a difference between admitting my sin and confessing my sin. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sin, he, God, is faithful and just and will forgive us of our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Confess literally means to say the same thing. And if we say the same thing about what our sin is, that God says, and we truly mean it, then we are confessing. God, I see my sin as heinous as you see it compared to your holiness. It's very different than simply admitting that I did something wrong. Confession, seeing it the way God sees it to begin to genuinely seek revival. See, we have to beware of cheap confession. Sometimes we go, oh yeah, I want revival and I want something new and fresh, but, but, but we're seeking something cheap. Merely praying with the lips, Lord, you know, Lord, I've sinned, please forgive me, is not true confession. There's no brokenness, there's no repentance. I was reading through this passage, and I thought about this idea of cheap grace and genuine confession, and, and it reminded me of Rocco. I don't know if anybody remembers last year, 2018, there was a story going around about Rocco, the, the African parrot, the gray African parrot, who started to learn how to make orders via his owner's Amazon Echo. I don't know if anybody remembers this. <clears throat> And he would order treats and he would order various things and, and eventually the owner had to put up some blocks and stuff because Rocco, the parrot, was ordering stuff. It wasn't that he had great wisdom, it's just that he'd heard things before. Sometimes we sit in church and, and it's not that we have deep remorse or confession and it's not even that we truly desire the heart of God the way God desires. It's simply that we've been around it long enough we know how to repeat the right things. God says, Dave, I don't want your lips. I don't want your words. I want your heart. When I have your heart, I have your life. When I have your lips and I have your words, that's just sort of like outward action. But God says, Dave, I know that when I have your heart, I have the essence of who you are. And that is what I desire more than anything else. David is saying, God, take my heart. Take it completely, clear cut me. Start from the very beginning, start all over. No cheap confession. 
It's not about penance. It's not about earning forgiveness. But it does mean that we come to the place that we're so broken by our sin that we hide nothing from God. God, there's not a thing I can hide because you know my inmost being. David understood, God, there's no place I can go hide from you. I go to the highest mountains, you're there. I go to the lowest depths of the ocean, there you are. God, there's no place I can go from you. You are El Roi, you are the God who sees. You know all my stuff, you know all my baggage, you know everything there is about me. All you want me to do is get honest with you and confess to you and repent to you and see my sin the way you see my sin. That's what David's doing. See, forgiveness, David understood clearly, forgiveness is not a cheap thing. It costs Jesus Christ his life. The God of heaven chose, first and foremost, the most amazing thing that happened is that God chose to step out of the glory and splendor of heaven and take on humanity. That in itself is amazing. And why did he do it? Because he loved me enough in my sin to want to create a way for me to have fellowship with him. Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrates his own love for me and for you that even while we were still sinners, Jesus Christ died for us. And David knew this is not a cheap thing that I'm asking for. Jesus Christ is going to pay his, his life. He's going to lay down his life and sacrifice his blood so that I can experience forgiveness. You see, we, we receive forgiveness because of what Christ has done. It's not simply because of our prayers and it's not simply because of our tears. It's because of his love and his grace that was offered to me before I even could, could have the capacity to ask him to forgive me. God already demonstrated his love for me. That's an amazing kind of love. Somebody ought to write a song about that kind of amazing grace, right? It might be a hit. God is willing to blot out my sins and he's willing to purge completely the sin from my life. There's a high cost to that cleansing and that high cost alone to me ought to make me hate my sin and want to turn away from it. But I don't. Why? Because I am a sinner by nature and I love to harbor my sin. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the great German pastor, theologian, put it this way. He said, cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring forget, uh, repentance. It is baptism without church discipline. In other words, no accountability as to how we live our life. It is communion without confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship, grace without the cross, and grace without Jesus Christ. There is no grace apart from Jesus Christ. There is no forgiveness of our sin. There is no restoration. There is no revival without the person of Jesus Christ and his work on the cross on our behalf. So where does David take it from here? There's a roadblock that is sin. There's a restoration that's available. But then I love this verse because it shows us a renewal. Look at it. Psalm 51, verse 10. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. The word renew literally is in here in the text, uh, uh, the word literally means to rebuild or repair. And, and right means to be erect, to set up. Also, it's translated as to prepare or to establish or to make steady. So here's the picture of Psalm 51.10. Are you ready? God completely clear-cut the land of my heart, remove my heart that is so sinful and erect build, prepare something that is steady and new 
in me to your honor and glory. That's renewal. Webster Dictionary defines renew as to make like new, to restore to freshness, vigor, or perfection as we renew our strength and sleep. It also says from a spiritual perspective to make new or to regenerate. But I love this. Even Webster got it right. To restore to existence or to what? Revive. Isn't that cool? Even the secular dictionary gets exactly what David is talking about. God, take my old heart that is so full of sin, take it away, clear-cut the land, build something that is brand new, and bring revival to my life. David was longing for the intimacy that he once had with God the Father. He was longing for that, and his heart was so heavy, and it was so burdened, and he knew the only way to get there was not to rely on a cheap grace, not to rely on simply admitting his sin, but he had to come to a place of confession and repentance and brokenness before God, and literally say, God, empty me of myself and fill me with you. God, take everything about me away and fill me with you. 